Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Winter's Revenge. Good morning. I'm Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. It's Monday, January 15th, 2024, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And here's what we have for you this hour. Much of the country is mired in a deep freeze with extreme cold, treacherous snow and ice and power outages stretching from coast to coast. Will the frigid temperatures affect the turnout for tonight's Iowa caucuses and the chances of Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis taking some of the air out of the Trump campaign? Officials mark 100 days of the Israel-Hamas war. Meanwhile, there was a new attack by Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. And why getting married later in life isn't as sunny as it looks on TV. Remarrying at any, you know, at any time, but especially later in life when you have more assets, you have to think about you know, how you're going to commingle those assets, if at all, how that's going to affect your tax picture and your social security. So there really are a lot of variables to weigh. Elizabeth O'Brien of Barron's with more on how to navigate a late-in-life remarriage later in the hour. More than 160 million people were under winter weather warnings or advisories yesterday as a hazarded mix mix of Arctic cold and wind, along with snow and sleet, pummeled much of the country. The National Weather Service said a cold front spilling out of Canada is responsible for dangerously cold temperatures from the Pacific Northwest all the way east to the Rust Belt. The extreme cold will stick around for several days and bring record-breaking low temperatures to the Midwest and Deep South this week. Over 140 daily cold records could be broken today and tomorrow from Oregon to Mississippi as temperatures in Memphis, Dallas and Nashville are expected to stay below freezing for at least 72 consecutive hours. Combined with the cold, the slick wintry precipitation won't melt on untreated surfaces for this morning's commute in places like Dallas and Shreveport, Louisiana, making travel more dangerous. ERCOT asked Texans to conserve power and over 13,000 customers in the state were already without power. Utah and western Colorado will also get heavy snow as the system over the Pacific Northwest moves east. Over 100,000 were without power this morning in Oregon. In the Northeast, the Arctic Blast was feeding a heavy lake effect snowfall in western New York, where an NFL playoff game near Buffalo was postponed till this afternoon. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says conditions will still be very cold for Bills fans today. This will be without the danger of the winds and the blinding snow and the hazardous traffic conditions for those as they travel to the stadium or leaving. Further south, New York City, which hasn't had significant snowfall in nearly 700 days, may break its snow drought this week. Republican presidential candidates urged their supporters to brave glacial temperatures in Iowa to vote in the party's first nominating contest today. Amid fears a predicted record cold snap could keep many voters at home. The icy weather in the state has become a wild card in the crucial contest that could help seal former President Donald Trump's bid to become the Republican nominee to face Democrat President Joe Biden in November's general election. Trump's top rivals, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, are banking on good showings in Iowa to keep them relevant, but the extreme cold could scramble those calculations by keeping people indoors and suppressing voter turnout. DeSantis campaigning in Ankeny. You don't just got to sit around and, and um, you know, throw your shoe at the TV screen and get, you know, get upset and frustrated for everything that's going. You actually have the power in your hands to do something about it on Monday night. At a rally in Indianola, Trump urged his supporters to dress warmly and joke that single attendees might meet their future spouse if they show up tonight and was confident in a win. We're going to win. I was first in the nation caucuses. We kept you first in the nation. 
in a historic victory, a victory that will echo throughout the country and all around the world. The latest Des Moines Register NBC poll showed Trump with 48 percent of support in the state, with Haley at 20 percent and DeSantis, DeSantis slipping to third with 16 percent. Iowa Republicans today will caucus to choose a presidential candidate, but Democrats will start to vote by mail and wait weeks for results, causing some confusion among voters. More on that from our own Gordon Deal. We're speaking with Eliza Collins, national politics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her piece is called The Head of Iowa Caucuses, Big 2024 Election Changes Are Baffling Voters. Uh, I, I presume you have some scorecard or something to follow along. I, I I read it multiple times and I'm still confused at times. Uh, kind of set that scene. What are we looking at here with, say, the uh, the opening states? Uh, I was pretty confused reporting it. Um, but basically, we the nominating process is not everybody votes at once. It's a series of states vote basically a week apart. And it really goes all the way through the spring to the summer, though it's usually pretty clear who the party nominee is going to be much earlier uh, for the Republican Party this time, it looks like if it is Trump, as it looks like it probably will be, he could secure the nomination by uh, mid to end of March. Okay. But these key early states are really the most important states. And for a long time, it was the same order for both parties. This year, the Democratic Party made a significant change and reshuffled their calendar at the request of President Biden and to, and saying that it, they wanted it to better reflect a more diverse pool of voters earlier on. Now, that's caused a lot of confusion on their side. Republicans also have some confusion. But um, Iowa and New Hampshire, which were longtime early states where voters are very used to having a lot of power, are no longer the first. And that's that's really sort of mixed things up and frustrated a lot of voters. Yeah, geez. So, so break down Iowa and its caucuses from a Republican standpoint than a Democrat standpoint. Yes. So the Iowa caucuses have kicked things off um, in the past, and they will for the Republican side. On Monday, Republicans will show up and caucus, which is basically more of like a neighborhood gathering where they vote um, in person and then each caucus site reports the results and ultimately decides who wins the state of Iowa. Um, Democrats have previously done that, but now with this new calendar, Iowa is no longer first for in terms of tallying for the Democratic nomination, but they will in fact start voting. Uh, their ballots should be out any day now for voters. It's mail-in this time. And voters can start voting. They just won't be tallied until March. So they'll vote. It'll be sealed up. And then in March, they'll say, well, the state of Iowa went for what is likely probably President Biden. But we won't know for a while. Mm. We're speaking with Eliza Collins, national politics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called Ahead of Iowa Caucuses, Big 2024 Election Changes Are Baffling Voters. Is there the risk that a voter is confused by this and then sits out the process. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a real problem, especially in some of these early states like Iowa and New Hampshire, which has its own set of problems where these voters are really used to 
um, having a lot of power in the nominating process, meeting candidates, hearing from candidates. And if they hear in Iowa, for example, their vote really won't matter for months, um, they might just say, you know, I'm not voting this time. All right. So these changes were made for what reason? I, I guess uh, one argument is uh, it improves election security. The other argument is, uh, I guess, some of this stuff could undermine the process. Yeah, so they were made for two different reasons on different sides. The Democratic side really just reshuffled the calendar, um, saying they wanted a more diverse set of voters to be able to go first. So South Carolina is now first in the Democratic process. By the way, South Carolina is a state that Joe Biden owes big time yes. for becoming the Democratic nominee. That can't be ignored. Um, so they reshuffled their calendar and Iowa, New Hampshire were basically collateral damage. They are rural states, they're smaller, they're whiter. And the Democratic Party said, you're still important, but you're not the Democratic base, so you're going to go a little bit later. Eliza Collins of The Wall Street Journal sorting things out with our own Gordon Deal. Yemen's Houthi rebels fired an anti-ship cruise missile toward an American destroyer in the Red Sea yesterday, but a U.S. fighter jet shot it down in the latest attack on global shipping amid Israel's war with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. The attack marks the first U.S. acknowledged firing by the Houthis since America and allied nations began strikes on Friday on the rebels following weeks of assaults on shipping in the Red Sea. The Houthis, a Shiite rebel group allied with Iran that seized Yemen's capital a decade ago, did not immediately acknowledge the attack. It wasn't immediately clear whether the U.S. would retaliate for the latest attack, though President, jo President Biden has said, quote, we will not hesitate to direct further measures to protect our people and the free flow of international commerce as necessary. Meanwhile, the Israel-Hamas war reached the grim milestone of 100 days of fighting. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby on we CBS. We have been talking to them intensely about a transition to low intensity operations. We believe it's the right time for that transition uh, and we're talking about doing that. It is now the longest war between Israel and the Palestinians since Israel's founding 75 years ago. 20 minutes now after the hour, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. A U.S. fighter jet shot down a missile fired by Yemen's Houthi rebels toward an American destroyer in the Red Sea yesterday. Authorities say there were no injuries or damage reported. This defense tactic comes after U.S. naval forces launched retaliatory strikes last week in response to the continuous Houthi attack attacks on commercial vessels in the Red Sea. A spokesperson for a UN relief agency on ABC News. Without, you know, the real ceasefire, we will not be able to cope with, uh, you know, the catastrophe, which is, you know, increasing and increasing and all over uh, Gaza Strip. We are really at the edge, at the brink of collapse. Number two. The Biden administration has warned it will take action if Texas officials do not stop blocking border patrols from a sector along the U.S.-Mexico border. Documentation states the Texas National Guard's actions at Shelby Park and Eagle Pass are unconstitutional and have impeded operations to apprehend migrants and rescue those in distress. The letter to Texas official also cites the drowning of a woman and two children migrants attempting to cross the Rio Grande Friday night after U.S. border agents were prevented from responding. President Biden while taking questions outside the White House. We have to make a major changes in the border. I've been pushing it. I'm prepared to make significant alterations of the border. Negotiations going on. 
for the last five weeks. I'm hopeful we'll get there. Texas has until the end of the day on Wednesday to relent. Otherwise, the matter will be referred to the Justice Department. Number three. Two U.S. Navy SEALs are missing off the coast of Somalia after falling into the water on Thursday. U.S. officials say one SEAL fell off of a ship after high waves hit the rep vessel, prompting another SEAL to go after him to attempt a rescue. Search operations for the missing SEALs are ongoing, and the missing SEALs are not related to Operation Prosperity Guardian, the U.S.-led coalition to protect commercial vessels in the Red Sea from Houthi rebels. The Detroit Lions landed their first playoff win in 32 years, beating the Los Angeles Rams 24-23. to Against his former team, Lions quarterback Jared Goff threw just one touchdown. Here's how it sounded on NBC. Fourth and a long yard. Two for the touchdown. Goff looking to throw. Throws back to the end zone. LaPorta! Touchdown Detroit again. They're three for three. Very happy for Detroit and their fans winning their first playoff game in 32 years. Also excited, Nicole, probably even more excited that Dallas just got absolutely manhandled yesterday and is out of the playoffs. As a Giants fan, I could not be more happy that that Dallas once again choked in the playoffs. A little bit, yes, but I will say 32 years is a long time. That's longer than I've been alive. Uh, (laughs) That's it. We're done here. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. TV shows like The Golden Bachelor tell us that it's never too late for love and remarriage, but what they don't talk about are the financial concerns of getting hitched again later in life. More on that from Elizabeth O'Brien, senior personal finance writer at Barron's. Elizabeth, it all looks happy on TV, but there are some very real financial questions we need to answer before we take the plunge. Remarrying at any, you know, at any time, but especially later in life when you have more assets, you have to think about you know, how you're going to commingle those assets, if at all, how that's going to affect your tax picture and your Social Security. So there really are a lot of variables to weigh. So step one, communication is key. How so? Indeed. Yeah, you really got to sort of lay it all out there. Now, not on the first date. This isn't first date conversation. But once you're starting to get serious, you know, talk about your money attitudes, your full financial picture. Uh, An advisor I talked to had some helpful conversation starters like you know, you could talk about what have, has shaped your financial decisions, what, what is your best financial decision or your worst, and, you know, how will we manage our money together? So really it's good to sort of hash it all out before you, before you get really serious. Now you talk about the possibility of a prenuptial agreement that may come into play, uh, a sticky situation, definitely not first date uh, talk for sure, uh, <laughs> but even yeah. down the line that's something that can uh, rub people the wrong way. How do you do that and when is that appropriate? Indeed. You know, a prenup often makes sense. And from the advisors and the attorneys I've talked to, you don't need to have a lot of assets necessarily to to get one. Basically, it's a contract stipulating how 
assets, what's going to happen if the marriage dissolves. So you're right. It can definitely rub people the wrong way because you're talking about what's going to happen when the marriage ends before the marriage even starts. But it's often a really good idea to sort of get into one because it really the goal is to sort of mitigate issues in the case of, of divorce or even death. You know, it could even um, get into to what happens if, if one of the parties dies. So how to broach it, I don't know, maybe carefully, you know, but uh, but it's something to, to bring up and consider. We're speaking with Elizabeth O'Brien, senior personal finance writer at Barron's, and we're talking about the potential financial pitfalls of remarrying later in life. And there's some big questions about taxes and Social Security. Let's start with taxes. What do we need to think about there? Yeah, well, you have to consider sort of your filing status. Now, for most couples, it's going to make sense. You're going to get the most financial benefit if you do married filing jointly, if that's your tax status. But there's some cases where it might make sense to file married filing separately. And one of those cases is if one of the parties has debt that can be, you know, seized by the government. Or, for example, if you have unpaid government student loans that have gone into default, if you owe money to the IRS, these are certain times of debt where the government can go in and garnish your refund or garnish your wages. And if you file jointly, that can become sort of a shared liability. So in that case, it might make sense to file separately. Another case is if one of the spouses has a really big medical bills, because the IRS allows you to to deduct unpaid medical expenses that exceed 7.5% of your income, now, but you, in order to do that, you have to itemize your deductions. Thanks, Elizabeth. Elizabeth O'Brien of Barron's joining us this morning. Advancing the conversation, identifying trends, and informing the world. This is America's First News This Morning with Gordon Deal. 34 minutes after the hour, Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray on this Monday, January 15th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Here's some of the stories we're following for you today. Much of the country dealing with potentially dangerous cold as extreme winter weather blanket states from coast to coast. Iowans will brave the cold to cast the first votes in the 2024 election cycle today. Another U.S. ship is attacked by Houthis in the Red Sea. A small plane crash killed three people in North Texas. Congressional leaders say a deal has been reached on a short-term funding bill that would avert a partial government shutdown. The Buffalo Bills paid fans to come help dig out their stadium in advance of their playoff game against the Steelers this afternoon. And the Texas doctor who went viral after skating into retirement. That story in about 20 minutes. If the harsh rhetoric of today's campaigns has you down about politics, there's a place you might want to visit located in an Iowa town with a population of just 245. Just beware that you might need to bring your own folding chair. More on that now from John McCormick, national political reporter for The Wall Street Journal. John, what's happening tonight at Sharon McNutt's house? Well, she's going to hold uh, a caucus meeting, which is basically, uh, you know, your precinct, people in your neighborhood, and are, they're going to come over to her house. Now, this is this used to be a lot more common back in uh, the 70s and 80s uh, when the caucuses were first becoming a big uh, national deal. And um, uh, it's really a, a sort of a disappearing tradition. Um, she is the last uh, host for a residential caucus uh, for the GOP this year, and um, she's in southwestern Iowa, and she's expecting you know upwards of uh, 50 people to uh, pack into her house for this meeting. Now, it's going to be brutally cold on Monday night, so attendance might be down a little bit. We'll see how that goes, but um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a very quaint, uh, you know, sort of the idealized version of the caucuses with neighbors getting together over coffee and cookies and, uh, you know, talking about who they think the next president should be. But uh, it's, uh, it's a de- disappearing tradition. So for those who don't know or have forgotten in the last four years, what are the, the ABCs of a caucus? Yeah, well, it's different from a primary, a lot different. Uh, you know, a primary, you typically uh, go to a, a polling place and voting's all day long, um, and it's kind of like your general elections are. A caucus is, like I said, a, a meeting of you know neighbors, basically, uh, in their precinct, um, and uh, they gather in the evening. Uh, they'll start at 7 p.m. Central Time in Iowa, and, uh, you know, they have some procedural things. They say the Pledge of Allegiance on the Republican side. They say a prayer, and um, then they uh, mark their presidential preference on a – typically it's just a slip of paper – um, some counties will print up an official ballot, but there's no official statewide ballot. Um, so people will, you know, write a name on a piece of paper and drop it into a basket, and, uh, and then it's sort of counted right in front of them. And then they re- report those results back to the headquarters in Des Moines, where they'll all be tabulated and released to the media and broadcast worldwide. Speaking with John McCormick, national political reporter at the Wall Street Journal, camped out in West Des Moines, Iowa, for the Iowa caucuses. So I imagine this really adds to the sense of community, something which has been going away as the years go by. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, this this tradition of hosting at home, um, you know, was uh, a lot more common uh, back in the 70s and 80s when the caucuses were first getting going. Um, and the, the woman I interviewed, her name is uh, uh, Sharon McNutt, and uh, she's been doing it uh, for two decades now, so uh, since 2002. And, um, uh, you know, Silver City is the town that she lives in. She happens to be the mayor of that town as well. That population is 245 people. So she said she'll probably know everybody who attends the meeting, and some of them will be related to her. She said there might be a couple people who she hasn't personally met before. But, uh, you know, it's very much a neighborhood meeting. And um, statewide, there's 1,657 Republican precinct meetings. Now, they won't all be in different places. A lot a lot of times these caucuses are held in, you know, high school buildings, and so they'll, you know, they'll put one precinct in the gymnasium and another precinct in the library, things like that. So I think there's about 700 actual locations statewide that will cover all 1,657 of those precincts. Um, but one of them will be uh, Miss McNutt's uh, more than century-year-old uh, farmhouse uh, in southwest Iowa. So what does Sharon have to do to prep to have this many people over? From the pictures, it doesn't look like a big place. Yeah, I think the biggest issue is chairs. Uh, she <laughs> says she wants to try to have seating for everybody, and um, uh, so she's gathering up you know, the kitchen chairs, the dining room chairs, the family room chairs, uh, you know, every chair she can find in the house. She figures she'll have seating for you know, 35 or 40, but if there's more than that, some people will have to stand. Her uh, record turnout was in 2016. Um, she said she had about, 
you know, 50 people then, and she, you know, thinks it'll be close to that, but it could be a little bit less because of the brutal cold. All right. Thanks, John. John McCormick of The Wall Street Journal joining us this morning from Iowa. Once again, we are filling the mic drop. The seat is filled. He looks like he's ready to go. Please welcome Dom Savino. Good morning, Dom. Yeah, by hook or by crook, I'm ready to go, Mike. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We are into the thick of TV and film awards season, and that continued last night with the Critics' Choice Awards hosted in Los Angeles. That's where Robert Downey Jr. won the award for Best Supporting Actor in a Movie for his role in the hit film Oppenheimer. And as RDJ spoke... He remembered some of the critics who thought he would never make it to the awards podium, reading some of the critiques of his work from earlier in his roller coaster career. The first one's kind of like haiku. Um, sloppy, messy, and lazy. The next one's more metaphoric, like Pee Wee Herman emerging from a coma. Oof. Robert Downey Jr. mentioned one from a British critic who called him a puzzling waste of talent. But... RDJ did get, did get the last at, last laugh, adding to his crowded trophy case, which already has 62 awards. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit off air. These are good problems, I think, for Robert Downey Jr. to have. He had, you know, a decade or two ago, had some uh, some really bad problems, and we actually thought that he probably wasn't going to act again at some point. No one was going to hire him. So, uh, you know, since Iron Man, it's all been kind of good things and good right. problems for Robert Downey Jr. since then. Yeah, I would love to know the dates of some of these critiques, how yeah. long ago they were. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, he has a very, uh, very good memory. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, Mr. Downey Jr. And uh, a, we- a weekend blizzard dropped more than two feet of snow on Buffalo, New York. The snowing continues today. It was enough to postpone the Bills' playoff game against the Steelers to this afternoon. But before they could play, Buffalo's Highmark Stadium needed to be dug out. And to do it, the team called in Bills Mafia. Yes, as the team is known to do, it hired 200 fans to assist stadium workers in cleaning up the wintry mess. It's not a bad gig. 20 bucks an hour with breaks, free food, and hot drinks all provided. You didn't even need to bring your own shovel. Of course, Bills fans showed up. Some even walked there because a travel ban was in effect yesterday in the city. And a little snow wasn't going to stop one of the most spirited fan bases in the NFL from having some fun. Video posted on Instagram shows one shoveler rip his shirt off and slide bare-chested down a tube that was being used to move snow from different sections of the stadium. And I have to say, Mike, cold? But effective. The snow moved. Uh, yes, it did. Yeah, nobody can move snow like Bill's Mafia. I mean, you had me at free food, to be honest with you. <laughs> free food and hot drinks, I- I'm there. You want to throw me a couple bucks, that's cool. But if I get to you know, go sledding down the concourse the way these, these folks were, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in. And like I said, within walking distance, because I guess the stadium's kind of like in a residential area, right? Right. So they didn't even have to get in their car, walk on over, get some free food, get to play in the snow in the stadium. That's, that's not a bad gig. They get paid to go snow tubing, basically. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty cool. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Exclusive stories and unique perspectives. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. 
Gordon's off. I'm Mike Gavin. From skiing to ice skating and building snowmen to playoff football games, as Dom told you, cold weather is great for a slew of things. But when temperatures dip below freezing during winter, failure to prepare can cost you thousands of dollars. USA Today has some tips from experts on how to prepare your home during cold weather and how to keep your pipes from bursting. For starters, make sure your thermostat is no lower than 60 degrees and open up your cabinets and vanities to help warm the pipes. You should also think about dripping your faucets, especially the one that's farthest from your main valve. Also, some outside prep can be helpful, including opening outdoor water spigots and attaching faucet covers. If your pipes burst, immediately shut off your main water valve and call a licensed plumber, which could cost you an average of anywhere from $400 to $1,500 to repair. Nine minutes now in front of the hour, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The Iowa caucuses are set to begin tonight despite freezing cold temperatures. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and former President Donald Trump made their final campaign stops over the weekend before the first vote of the 2024 election cycle this evening. Haley told voters to make sure their voices are heard. Make sure that you go and make a difference. Iowa sets the tone for where the country goes when it comes to these elections. There are no foregone conclusions. Polls say Trump enters the day with a massive lead over Haley and DeSantis in Iowa. Number two. Congressional leaders have reached a deal to extend government spending until March, possibly averting a government shutdown. An initial procedural vote is set for tomorrow. Under the new agreement, parts of the government, including the Transportation Department, the Agricultural Department, and the FDA would be funded through March 1st. The rest of the government would be funded through March 8th. Originally, these two sets of finances were due to expire on January 19th and February 2nd, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Hopefully we can get an overwhelming vote in the Senate and then it can go to the House and pass because shutdown day is Friday. Congressional leaders announced a $1.66 trillion spending budget last week. Number three. Four people are dead and another is critically injured after a hot air balloon crashed in Arizona yesterday morning. Police say there were also eight skydivers on the balloon who jumped before the crash. One of the four victims died at the scene and three were taken to a local hospital where they later died. The fifth victim has been airlifted to a hospital in Phoenix and is in critical condition and Arizona Police Chief Byron Gwaltney. It's just a, an absolute tragedy for our community and, and for the for the people that were we're working with today. The names of the victims will not be released until their next of kin have been notified. Rapper Ice-T and his wife Coco Austin are under fire for allowing their eight-year-old daughter to play beer pong. The game was played with water, no alcohol, but commenters were quick to point out that being introduced to the game so young could lead to problems in her future. Problems in her future? This is water pong. This was not actually beer pong. She wasn't chugging beer, right? I'm just like, oh, Lord, this is like when parents give their kids a glass of wine at the dinner table. If you make it this big forbidden fruit, right. that's how they're going to treat it. Let her throw a few pong balls, and then she's going to see it later in life and be like, no yeah. big deal. It's a fun game, no matter what's in the cups, right? It's it's a lot of fun to try and beat your friends throwing the ball into the cup. So, I will not disagree with that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think there are a lot worse things that kids are exposed to. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's leave cocoa and iced tea alone. Right. Literally. Yeah. Seriously. Thanks very much, Nicole. A physician celebrated a major career milestone by having some fun on his last day of work. Fox News says Dr. Phil Masterson is an emergency room doc from Dallas, Texas, who recently retired after practicing medicine for nearly 40 years. Masterson decided to celebrate his recent retirement by skating through the halls of the emergency room and giving the staff a few laughs. The doc says he had a standing joke.
joke with his staff that on the last day of work, he was going to streak through the ER wearing only a cowboy hat and some boots, though the staff questioned whether he'd actually go through with it. He did not. He decided instead to roller skate since he says he's a great roller skater and used to skate multiple times a week in med school to help with his stress levels. The TikTok of Masterson skate into retirement has been seen nearly two million times, and he says the video shows everyone how much fun he was having and how happy he is to be retiring. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Dom Savino, I'm Mike Gavin. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.